Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined as always by Steffi Haynes. We've got quite a bit to get to, including UFC Vegas 59, the announcement of Israel Adesanya's next fight and more. First, how's it going, Steffi? It is going. It is going. And um, you know what? This was a fun card. I know it didn't look all that good on paper, but that was a fun card. Man, it was a fun card. Yeah, I got to admit, I didn't, even with all the finishes, I wasn't really enjoying the card through the first five, six fights because it all just felt like real one-sided fights. Mm -hmm. And I do like competitive bouts. But the last three fights, so from Usman up to the main event, that was more what I was hoping for. And it it was a historic card because it's only the second show ever to have 100% finishes. Now, I think somebody, I can't remember who, uh, had said the tough five finale had also had, might have been Mikey Bats, but yeah, the tough five finale had all finishes, which is technically true, but anybody who remembers the Gray Maynard-Rob Emerson fight, and I can't believe you would because that didn't air on TV at the time, uh, that was the one where Emerson had his ribs injured off a takedown, but Maynard knocked himself out. So that became the no contest. So this is the only one where, uh, well, this and the Brockhole Bisman card, the first fight that is, 10 fights, 10 finishes. We didn't need the judges, and I think that's a good thing whenever we don't need the judges. That's right. But you would think that the UFC would also agree with us and say, you know, what a what an outstanding achievement. Also, you had another history-making moment on there with, you know, the brothers being the first ones to win tough. Yeah, you know, that's an odd one because Kamaru Usman, when he won tough, that was a team competition. What was it, ATT and Black Zillions? Yeah. And I think Usman just made the final, but I think they kind of awarded points uh, or, or whatever towards a specific team, whoever won. But as far as I'm concerned, Usman won the final. So therefore, Kamara and, and Mohamed Usman both got the job done. And if your last name is Usman, you've never lost in the UFC. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely crazy. Uh, so <clears throat> let's get to the main event first. Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos, the fight of the night. So yes, Jamal Hill... Was the uh, was the magic potion as far as getting an exciting fight out of Tiago Santos again, and that was with Santos trying to make it boring, because we got NCAA Santos unexpectedly through a couple of rounds of this fight, and to Hill's credit, he got up repeatedly whenever Santos took him down, even when Hill was tiring. Um, you could you could see that Hill's just natural athleticism, uh, I think, powered him through a lot of, of of those getups, but it felt like Santos also exhausted himself trying to be a wrestler. And in the fourth round, he, I mean, he was going just swinging crazily with Hill. But you could tell that Hill's punches had a, and strikes in general had a much greater effect on Santos than the other way around. And you saw the way that that fight ended. Santos had nothing left. He was he was absolutely finished. And Hill has got uh, another great win. He's got one over a former title challenger, uh, just as he did against OSP. I mean, kind of sort of because OSP was an interim title challenge, but still. I mean, his only loss in his career is to Paul Craig, and Paul Craig just has that knack for pulling off surprise mm-hmm. wins. Uh, but otherwise, his entire UFC career has just been a, a lot of wow moments. I mean, the, the Clitson-Abreu fight was a knockout win, but the, the, 
the dreaded marijuana overturn. But Darko Stosic is the only dude who's been able to go the distance with him out of the people that he's he's beaten. OSP, he stopped. Jimmy Crude, he stopped quickly. Johnny Walker, he stopped. And then against Thiago Santos, he showed he could at least get into the championship round. So Jamal Hill might have a lot of things to clean up technically, but just his, his what he has at the moment is is that of uh, of a true light heavyweight contender. Indeed, and he looks to have five-round cardio, too. If you notice, one of the big reasons that Tiago Santos tired out, man, he is built like an action figure. It takes a lot of oxygen to supply all of that muscle. Jamal Hill does not walk around like that. He's actually a little pudgy in the middle, but, man, he can go, and he's got power. And... Yeah, he does have some things to work on, but boy, does he have a lot of things going for him. Yeah, I mean, Santos had his kicking game work the best it's looked in a while. And part of that is because Hill just doesn't defend kicks well at all. I mean, he doesn't defend them. Uh, it, that, that's been a problem of his throughout his UFC career, so that has to be worked on, especially considering who the champion is right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you try to, to not defend kicks against your Prohaska and you are napping. So with Hill, though, I think he's got a good chin. I wish he wouldn't keep his chin up in the air when he throws because he did that on more than a few occasions. But I like the way that he can close distance. His speed mm-hmm. is going to be a problem for a, a, a lot of light heavyweights. So I, I'm just trying to figure out what would be next for him because, let's be real, he's not going to get a title shot off of beating Tiago Santos, who's now on a, on a fairly lengthy losing run. So I, him against Jan Blachowicz would be cool to me. Yeah. Or if they don't want to give Ankalaya the next shot because of the way the Anthony Smith fight ended, Jamal Hill and Ankalaya oh will be cool goodness. too. Yes, I love. I think I like that one actually a little better. Yeah, and, and that can be your 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 number one contender fight. I mean, mm-hmm. for Ankalaya, it feels like he's got to win in perpetuity to get a title shot. But Ankalaya versus Hill would be an exciting fight. And if Ankalaya's fights as of late haven't been all that interesting, Jamal Hill is at the very least an action fighter. You're not going to be bored watching Jamal Hill fights. No way, no how. Yep. The, the tough thing for uh, on the other side, Tiago Santos, I don't even think he fought terribly, but this also feels like a fight that pre-knee injuries he would have been able to win. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's next for him. I mean, he's got a kid. He's one in five in his last six. I don't think the UFC is going to cut him because Light Hero is just not that deep. I'm sure he can fight somebody at the lower end because look at his record. John Jones, Glover Teixeira, Alexander Rakic, Johnny Walker, Ankalaev, Jamal Hill. That's a pretty – and preceding that, he knocked out Jan Blahovic. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty brutal stretch of opponent. So I think it is time for Santos to get a considerable step down in competition because I think he could still beat guys at the lower end of, of the light heavyweight pool at the shallower end. But as far as him contending, I think those days are unfortunately over. I think you would be right. Also, my goodness, the cameos that they were showing all throughout the the card. Oh, the dad cameos were killing me. You know, I, you don't, you don't want to have to watch them go in there and get the crap beat out of them after watching those really cute dad cameos with Yana and the baby. Yeah, it's just you, you don't want to see daddy get beaten up or mommy get beaten up. I mean, come on. Now, I actually thought that Jeff Deal Vicente Luque could have been the fight of the night. Yes, me too. Um, because it just felt like a better quality fight, and it was the best quality fight on paper. Mm-hmm. And, Steph, you were the only one to pick Neil on the Bloody Elbow staff, and it worked out. I mean, Neil, that's the best we've ever seen Jeff Neal look. Yep. And even though he still has got this thing with head hunting. 
it worked against Vicente Luque. And Dean Thomas made a fantastic point that, I mean, it's not a unique opinion, but it's something that I don't think gets mentioned on the broadcast enough. Having your hands up high and having your arms up high and trying to, to block your face, but that's it. That's not effective defense. That's and right. Neil was able to split that guard so often. He could not miss with that left hand. So I could just, you know, nitpick with Neil and his tendency to headhunt. But if Luke is not going to defend headshots effectively, you just keep going there. He can't defend a left to save his life. No, he couldn't. And I thought he was doing better in the second round. I, I got to take issue with the fact that all three judges gave Neil the second. I don't think that should have been the case at all. I thought Luke clearly won the second. I thought so too. But, but I also thought Neil, by coming really, really close to stopping Luke in the first round, I felt that was dominant enough for a 10-8, but maybe not in the era of less liberal handing out of 10-8s, I suppose. But still, the, the way that the third round was going, Neil was going to win it. And it's a great moment for him. We like Jeff Neal. I had trepidation picking Luke because, and I've said this before, he will absolutely try and make every fight of his as difficult as possible. Mm -hmm. And why in the world he would not grapple Neil is beyond me. Why would he try and just kickbox exclusively? I mean, to tell you, I asked myself the same question the entire fight. And the picture that uh, Luke posted with his face just mangled from the hospital thing, I believe it was not, yeah, it was from the hospital because he has a bunch of IVs and everything, but it's from the, uh, yesterday morning, you know, the day after. And he says, so you want to be a fighter? And I just thought to myself, that's the worst we've ever seen him look. I, I frequently comment, win or lose after his fights, how he maintains such a straight nose after some of the beatings he takes. And that's another problem that I have. He must take a, an almost ambulance-inducing beating in the first round before he snaps to and comes to life. I hate that about him. I'll tell you what I, what I love, though, the way that Jeff Neal finished that fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't line every uppercut. But he was just wailing on Luke and got him to face plant. I mean, that was some some high level shit right there. It was a highlight real moment on a night filled with highlights. And for for Neil, he's very much back into contention as a result of this because, uh, I mean, Neil took time off. I mean, just to to get away from the sport a bit. But even you know the pre the preceding three fights, he didn't look all that good against Ponzinibbio. And that was a terrible fight between two otherwise pretty exciting fighters. Yeah. The Magni fight, he just got outfought, out-wrestled, and just didn't put up a good enough pace. And then Wonder Boy beat him pretty clearly over five rounds. But that looked closer to the Jeff Neal who ripped up Mike Perry and dominated Bilal Muhammad. Like, that looks like that version of Jeff Neal, but improved. I mean, his boxing is, is really good. If it gets varied even more, then that'll be a big deal. But, man, that that's good for Jeff Neal to, to get back on track. But for Luke... Um, it feels like this type of loss has been coming mm -hmm. because of the types of fights he's had. I mean, the Woodley fight. He might have submitted Woodley, but he got rocked in that fight a couple of times by Woodley before hurting him back and then submitting him. I mean, the Randy Brown fight, I'm pretty sure Brown was doing well, and then Brown just got knocked out abruptly. The Nico Price fight the second time was was, was an absolute war. Uh, he got ripped up by Wonderboy and actually lost that fight. The Bala Muhammad fight... He, he largely got out wrestled, and then when he had the chance to 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 put away Muhammad, when he hurt him, he, he couldn't do it. Right. So I'm getting the sense that Lucas has hit his ceiling, 
And there's nothing wrong with that. He's he's hit his ceiling as a as a out just outside the top five dude, but he's gonna have to shore up some things about his game for it to age well, or else even against lower level opposition, guys who are not as good as Jeff Neal, he's gonna continue to continue to have fights where he's getting rocked frequently. He's gotta stop depending on that ultra tough chin. He's gotta work on that defense. Gotta gotta gotta. Yeah, it's finally been cracked. And I, even though I said Luke is the more diverse striker on paper, and I think that's still the case. I mean, it's clear that Neil's boxing is also a shitload better than Luke's boxing. And also, if you're getting ripped up in the first round, I mean, try a takedown. Do something different. Change something instead of just low kick and low volume your way. And and that's not the way Luke fights. So fighting at such a you know, a non-threatening, non-damaging pace. Even when he was landing on Neil, it wasn't anything hard. It was almost like point fighting as a way to win rounds when he needed to finish. And Neil absolutely closed the show in in emphatic fashion. It was uh, an impressive win. He got a performance bonus. So did Mohamed Usman, whom uh, really didn't look good in the first round, it has to be said. <laughs> but one judge, I think Sal Diamato, another Sal special, he gave Usman the first round. And I don't know what fight he was watching. But I don't either. <laughs> Usman made that irrelevant with that massive left hand. And prop to Zach Palga because he was on Twitter being very humble in defeat, saying he's got a that that's a, a, a vulnerability in his defense that Muhammad exploited, <clears throat> and he's he's got to clean that up. He's got to patch that up. I mean, that is a great attitude to have. But that was awesome for Usman. And then uh, Juliana Miller beating uh, Rogan Walker Sanchez. This is as close as we got to a fight going the distance, but Miller was going to win a decision anyway. Um, I'm just at a complete loss as to why Walker opted to clinch as much as she did. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, the Usman fight had a violent moment. This is one of those fights that just because it ended in a finish doesn't mean it was actually good to watch. Yeah, and Brogan Walker deciding to to fight that particular fight in close and all of that, thought she could bully this girl who was much bigger than her. And I don't know. I just thought that she could have made an adjustment at any time. And she chose to fight the same fight from beginning to end, despite losing literally the entire fight. And then she talked shit in the girl's ear and literally gave her like proton fuel to beat the crap out of her even more and make it look a little more decisive towards the end. Yeah. And you get the, uh, the DX chop at the end. Yeah, it was it was great. Did you hear her explanation of that? No, I didn't. What happened? Well, what it was, it was her grandmother, what the, the nationality is. I, I, I'm sorry for that part, but her grandmother didn't speak good English, but she watched pro wrestling because it was easy for her to understand what was going on. And so that was for her, for her. It was to honor her grandmother, who was a big pro wrestling fan. Hmm. That that's pretty cool, and, yeah. and to and to do it that way, um, and, and to win yourself the uh, the ultimate fighter trophy, which seems like a blessing and a curse at the same time, because you know what that means contractually. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. That that's yeah. that's the downside in the in, in this day and age. Ten fight deal for for a six figure contract. Back in the day, that used to mean. $10,000 a fight for 10 fights. Now, I don't know if that's the case these days, 
but it can't be a whole lot more than that. Also, I just remembered her grandmother was Brazilian and it, it makes sense because she has that very similar stilted speech pattern that Mackenzie Dern has from being raised by Brazilians. So I, I think that's just a cute, cute story. Yeah, that, that really is awesome. Uh, I'll tell you what, um, the way that tough looks, I suspect that we're not going to get any um, any special contenders out of this season of the show. Uh, not not com- not when Bo Nickel is fighting a contender series on Tuesday. Uh, right? I mean, com- <laughs> Bo Nickel is the type of prospect who hasn't appeared on tough in an, in, in in an age, but we keep getting you know, excellent fighters and excellent prospects from contender series. So, uh, you know, tough is done. I, I assure, I, I assume we're, we're going to get a 31st season, but I think we know contender series is much more um, beloved at this point. The only benefit to tough still being around on ESPN plus is that as opposed to when he was on TV, you, you can just immediately go right to the fight. You can skip all the house bullshit. Yeah, you really can. Much better pacing. I don't know. I, we, we've been done with tough for a long, long time. I mean, I can't remember the last season I was even interested in, much less invested in. Yep. Now, uh, let, let's be real with a lot of the fighters who lost on this card are probably getting cut. Augusto mm-hmm. Sakai oh, yeah. cut four straight losses, and he provided pretty much no no real resistance to Sergei Spivak just ragdolling him. And Spivak, sorry, man, he still didn't get a bonus. He keeps asking, but it it, it didn't happen. So it, that that's tough for him uh, to to not get a bonus. I mean, that wasn't some explosive finisher or, or anything, but shoot, uh, he was unfortunate that Dana and the USC weren't in a charitable enough mood to give everybody who won a, a finish bonus. They only gave four people a finish bonus because Hill got five of the night. And then Usman Neal and then Brian Battle got an awesome head kick knockout of Takashi Sato. I mean, $50,000 bonus for him. I, I hope he doesn't do any of his own accounting. If you listen to his post-fight interview. Oh, my goodness, his, his bet. <laughs> yes, $10 quadruples to 75 Yeah. I, and I then he like, calls Whoop. up Brian Barbarina, unaware that Brian Barbarina's first name is spelled the same as him. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but he uh, was energetic and lively, and I couldn't help but like it. I, I, I cackled a little bit, but I, I thought I think he's fun. I like that he was motivated by all the criticism of his last fight to come in there and do a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked. And Takashi Sato, by the way, that's not a dude who gets, you know, not he doesn't get knocked out all the time. That's only the second time in his career. And it was a uh, scary one. The way his unconscious movement, you know, because for, for a few seconds there he was unconscious. That movement he made with his hands, it literally looked like he was dialing a phone. That's scary when you see them make movements like that that they have no control of. Because at first it looked like he was like shaking a little and then it looked like he was just making these motions. It was crazy. That fencing posture mm-hmm. sort of deal. It Gosh. almost reminded me of when um, Arthur Abraham knocked out Jermaine Taylor and was a oh, similar yes. type of, uh, you know, he was almost doing the, the Statue of Liberty pose, but he's he's on his back. Mm-hmm. And those knockouts are really scary. Yeah. Uh, Sato's lost three in a row and four out of five, so his UFC tenure might be coming to an end. Miranda Granger getting Von Flu choked. I mean, that's... Uh, that's brutal. I, I, that for that to happen outside a light heavyweight, <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. 
uh, and she's lost three in a row. I think she's also just had a child too. Mm-hmm. But she had a 10-inch reach advantage over Corey McKenna, and she did not make good use of it. McKenna's somebody that I'm going to keep my eye on. I'm very impressed with her. Danny Castillo is putting in good work with her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Eric Gonzalez, that, that, you know, maybe they give him one more fight. That's a tough thing to, to fight Jim Miller and Terrence McKinney back-to-back. Yeah. But he's also not been competitive. <clears throat> So he's probably not sticking around. And McKinney, he's just the first-round king. I think he called out Patty Pimblett. Yeah. USC is almost certainly not going to make that fight. <laughs> nope. Um, and, look, Pimblett can win that because we've also seen McKinney's style is very much boom or bust. Yeah. But if he can get that boom, then Pimblett could be in trouble. But that would be an ex- insanely exciting fight, though. And it would sell like hotcakes. I think Terrence McKinney's going places. Yes, he, he is just a, a joy to watch, and he's a great story. I'm rooting for Terrence McKinney. Um, and then we also had Sam Alvey, and Sam Alvey's very large family, uh, just in the number of kids, and his wife, of course, is his corner. And I think his parents might have been there too, at least other relatives. And he just got bludgeoned in, inside of two minutes by Mikhail Oleg That was just sad. And even though I disagree with Sam Alvey on pretty much everything um, – <laughs> I just, I hate seeing that. Yeah, me I mean, too. just to see that camera pan and then that happening and he broke his jaw, apparently. That was just an uncomfortable beating that really shouldn't have happened in the UFC. And he shouldn't be in the UFC. Yeah. I mean, he's not won a fight in his last nine. It's it's time for him to go. The UFC will surely not resign him. My worry is that he ends up going straight to bare knuckle. And he will. You know it. I think that the other promotions will look at him and say, that's not worth the investment. And Sam doesn't have command some huge fan base or anything like that. There's not a whole lot of shine on that package. So it would be something like a bare knuckle. And that kind of sucks, but uh, six mouths on top of him and his wife, oof, that's a lot. Yeah, and he's not getting win bonuses, obviously. Nope. He hasn't been racking up a lot of post-fight bonuses. It's hard to when you're not winning. The only way you can get it is through fight of the night. And while he's only been knocked out four times in his career, I mean, it's kind of deceiving because the Brendan Allen fight, he got submitted after getting rocked. Same thing happened in the Julian Marquez fight. When he's getting hit hard, he is reacting very badly. Yeah. So this is the type of thing where I I would hope that there is some other way for him to, to make money or some other way for his family to, to, to get some sort of steady income because I feel like it's only going to get worse from here. Yep, that's right. And that's probably, <clears throat> excuse me, why he says yes, no matter what, no matter who. Yeah, it was just, it was just, that was brutal. Oleg did what he had to do. He just, just Hulk smashed him. It wasn't even competitive. And then the last fights on a car that only had 10 fights because uh, Jason with Josh Quinlan got uh, nixed over some pulsing. So John Jones felt a disturbance in the air. <laughs> and then uh, I guess Lipsky and Cachoeira will happen this weekend instead. And I might be tempted to change my pick later in the week, knowing Lipsky went through that training camp with COVID. Uh, but anyway, the Myra Bueno Silva fight against Stephanie Egger, that was weird because I still haven't seen a tap. I haven't either. <laughs> but even with all the camera angles that you could get, I didn't see a tap, but I've not heard Egger interviewed. I don't think Egger protested. So I'm inclined to believe she did tap. And maybe this is kind of like um, when Michelle Watterson tapped to Amanda Limosh and we nobody could really see the tap. So Limosh let go, but Watterson admitted that she tapped right Edgar didn't really do that but what we got was polling 
We, we got a cage side pole. Did you see a tap? And I only wish that this could have happened for Stipe and Overeem. <laughs> Damn it, it didn't happen. But I didn't know that was a thing, and that's how you get the submission. But that was a very, very unusual way for a fight to end. It really was. And boy, was Silva just, wow, that kind of emotion. Man, she was over it, just sobbing. Props to Michael Bisping for being able to get her to calm down enough to get an interview out of her. Seriously, that was a challenge. Yeah, and and you know, Silva's been in the UFC since 2018, but think about her, her career, these last several fights. So she won her debut against Jillian Robertson. She got into the UFC through the Brazilian Contender Series, but when she lost to Marina Moroz, that was when the pandemic shutdown started happening. And that's when the Brasilia card ended up going from a full capacity to no fans. And she's only ever fought at the Apex since then. And that's kind of crazy to think about. So she's had no fans, no real support group uh, outside of her coaches, obviously, and her her camp. But uh, obviously, it was a very emotional moment for her. And it's good to see her get another win. But, man, that that was something. Mm -hmm. It really was. Anyways, we are going to move on here because we've got a big news announcement. Now, we have known for a long time that the UFC was probably going to pair off Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira, but we weren't getting the actual solidified fight. Now, after Pereira just beat Sean Strickland just so emphatically after Strickland fought the dumbest fight ever, uh, everybody knew that it was going to happen. Uh, Israel was, I believe Israel was there and was, you know, I'm ready for this. Let's make it happen. Well, it has finally been solidified. This thing started way back in kickboxing too. And in, I believe it was what, 2015, 2014, Ah, I think 2015. 2015, that's what it was, was when um, Pajara beat him the first time. And it was kind of a controversial decision, so they rematch, and then Pajara actually knocks Israel out with a left hook. Woof! Both of those occurred under the glory of Heroes Promotion. And now we get the trilogy fight, the uh, you know, of sorts, even though this is uh, not exactly kickboxing. Now we get the whole can of worms in there boy i i don't know what to think here as far as who could take this because israel he looked i don't know how how to put it in in the cannoneer fight he just looked a little flat and i think that uh alex pajara has a real opportunity here more so than any of the 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 past couple of opponents i think yeah, and just to uh, correct, it was 2016 was 2016. the first fight. 2017 was the rematch. It was under Glory of Heroes and not Glory Kickboxing, right. to uh, not confuse anybody. But the first fight, yeah, I think that there's a good case that Pereira actually, Pereira actually lost that fight. And the second fight, Pereira was losing that fight. Mm-hmm. And that left hook is just, I mean, he, he's got the best left hook in the business. Now, in, in MMA, could be a different beast. Israel out of sight, I don't think has ever even attempted a takedown. So the odds of that happening, I don't think are particularly high. Maybe we get a glorified kickboxing match uh-huh. uh, with a little bit of extra leeway for clinching um, in, in this trilogy. But I have no no issue with this fight. I think you have to book it because who right. else is there at 185? 
a Whitaker trilogy is not happening anytime soon. He's got Vittori to face, and that's not a slam dunk win for Whitaker. Vittori, he's beaten twice, and no, we don't need a, a trilogy of that no. one. Uh, he's beaten Cannoneer, and that was just a lackluster fight. Some of it was out of sign and never voluntarily trying to push the pace. And the other part was Cannoneer just fighting not to lose and losing. And then you had Derek Brunson. He stopped him. Brunson just got knocked out by Cannoneer. He's not going to be fighting for a title anytime soon. Paulo Costa fighting Luke Rockhold. We assume because this is 12 days out is way too much time to trust either one of them to stay in a fight. <laughs> Strickland, no, and not after one of the all-time dumb strategies to stand right in front of one of the great <laughs> kickboxers of the of his era. And then you get to Hermanson, Till, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Jack Hermanson has nothing for Adesanya. He would lose pretty re- in, oh in resounding fashion. Yeah. So it's a case of two things. One, they're not too many up-and-coming middleweights who are ready for uh, that, that next step to the title. A couple of people who might be making that push, Nasordin Imavov and Andre Muniz. But they're not ready just yet. we got to see them against other dudes first. In a perfect world, one of those guys would be fighting Pajero for an opportunity you know, to fight for the belt. But we don't get that. We get the uh, the sensationalism of their history and this knockout of Strickland as the perfect storm to put these two together. Well, it, it's a sensational story, and it's also the fact that Pereira, for Pereira, for somebody with such little MMA experience, mm-hmm. in three UFC fights has already knocked out a top 10 middleweights in one round. And even the, I think that the Bruno Blindado fight, that's going to age well for him. I know he's fighting this weekend against Mirchard. I think Bruno Blindado could crack the top 15 soon. Yeah. So that's the type of win that will age well. Mikhailidis is already out of the UFC, so I discard him from this argument. I, you know, it, it's the story. And also, Adesanya has just beaten so many of these dudes in the top 10, and that top is 15. Why, and that is why I began this with, I don't mind it, and I don't think there's anybody else out there to give him, you know, any kind of challenge. So this fight is all right by me. Yeah, and I'm just look, looking at the top 10. I mean, he's beaten Gastelum, who's ranked 11 and on a bad losing run, and he's beaten Brad Tavares. So it, it's crazy how many fighters Adesanya has beaten. And part of it is he's been a very active fighter since he came into the UFC. Yeah, He fought, I think, four times in 2018, three times in 2019, fought twice in 2020, and that's good considering we had a couple months of, of no UFC. He just snuck in with that Romero fight that nobody wants to remember because that was the last fight with fans before the shutdown happened and he fought twice in 2021 he's going to fight three times in 2022 yeah very very he doesn't pull out of fights and then you can joke about his his last few fights not being all that exciting or action-packed but he seems to keep his body in shape he seems to to take care of himself in training and he he's available and that's the type of thing that the UFC loves and it's the type of thing that fans should love and I hope I hope that Pereira can draw out the type of fights without Asanya that'll make people, I, I, I'm trying to think of the term, maybe just fall in love with Asanya again. Because yeah. at the start of Asanya's career, up until he beat Whitaker, I mean, he, he was just a marvel. Yeah, I think it, it's what you're looking for is the, the reminder they need for why they fell in love with him in the first place, why they became fans, because he has a pretty significant fan base. Yes, he does. Um, I don't know how well this Cannoneer fight sold, but there have been a couple other pay-per-views out of Sanya's done that have drawn pretty well. Like mm-hmm. that Paulo Costa fight, I believe, that, that's 600,000 global buys. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And for as long as John Jones isn't fighting and only fighting on Twitter, and McGregor doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon, 
Adesanya is kind of their most reliable main event guy. That's right. It, because think of it, they don't let Sterling headline shows. Volkanovski has headlined, you know, what, two shows? Ortega and, and uh, well, three shows. I think the second Holloway fights, Ortega, and then Korean Zombie. The, the Zombie fight, I doubt, sold well at all. You also have Usman. But Usman is very opponent-dependent. So, like, he can sell well against Colby. He can sell very well against Masvidal. But this Leon Edwards fight is probably not going to do well. <laughs> no, it's not. UFC, you must get some quality control in your graphics department. <laughs> yeah, Jamal Hill's going to be busy. I mean, he be, I mean, he might be a light heavyweight contender, but <laughs> tell you what, that that tells you how how little people will care about e- Leon Edwards or how little the UFC cares about Leon Edwards. Then they got Kamaru Usman fighting Jamal Hill on that graphic. <laughs> if you didn't see the broadcast, um, just pull up ESPN Plus. You go to the very end of the show and the graphics for upcoming events, and they've got Usman and Edwards advertised, but they got a picture of Jamal Hill instead of Leon. So it's it's not quite as bad as, remember way, way back when, um, Mirko Krokop and Frank Mir, and they misspelled Mir as fear, and I think they had, instead of Mir, they had Anthony Paroche. Wow, there's a name from the Dark Ages, Anthony Paroche. Yes, a, a, great, a great example of Let's Remember Some Guys, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was fighting in the UFC. It's been within this decade, but still. I guess it's because of how long he he was in in the sport. I mean, quite some time. Yeah, a, a really long time. So no, no, UFC no, no, 281, no. imagine if we get Adesanya Pereira, Pereira and Poirier Chandler. Because Poirier Chandler is not a done deal, not even a done deal for this card. It could happen in December instead. But uh, if Poirier Chandler happens and it's the co-main event, mm-hmm. five rounds. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But do you think it's going to happen? Is it me or does it look like Michael Chandler's trying to trying to back out of it now? I, I don't know. I think it's rich that Chandler's talking about Poirier's age right? when he's three years older than Poirier. I mean, <laughs> and he's been he in just as many wars as Poirier. And has a much worse record than Poirier going in here. And, and, and probably a, a not as good a chin either. Nope. Yeah, that that's uh, that that's pretty hilarious. But just make that fight happen, Madison Square Garden, November the twelfth, on the anniversary of the very first UFC show. Yeah. So hopefully we get something special on that night, just as we did when uh, they first went to MSG. With the McGregor Alvarez card was also November twelfth. Oh my! Wow. So there's something special about that date. Indeed. Now we must move on to some very very sad, unspeakably tragic news in the world of jujitsu and the martial arts community as a whole. Uh, Leandro Lowe, one of the most accomplished jiu-jitsu practice- practitioners ever, was killed uh, in his home country of Brazil on August 7th, on Sunday. Uh, he had apparently an argument at a nightclub in the city of Sao Paulo, and the shooter was identified as an off-duty military police officer, Henrique Otavio Oliveira Beloso. And uh, I've just seen some breaking news out of Brazilian media that he has turned himself in. So Lowell's lawyer explained to uh, G1, Brazilian news outlet, Otavio had been provoking Leandro before the situation escalated. Uh, Leandro immobilized Belozo in order to de-escalate everything. Unfortunately, once Lowell let him go, apparently the off-duty police officer took out his gun, shot Leandro, and he also kicked him twice and once when he was down from the gunshot, and then he fled the scene. Leandro was taken to hospital, um, but he was pronounced brain dead shortly after arrival. 
and the, 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 the jiu-jitsu community, even the MMA community, because there are a lot of people who have trained with Leandro Lowe and have just admired him and competed against him in, in jiu-jitsu tournaments. The, the outpouring of tributes has just been incredible. Uh, Leandro, eight-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion. We're talking the, the IBJJF world, and that is just an absolute gauntlet to get through. Um, he, he, he just even won, won the Mundials, right? He just won it this year. Yeah. He just won it this year. I mean, he's won at the Mundials, the World Cup. He's won in the Pan American Games. We, he's won at Brazilian Nationals. I mean, think about the people he has grappled against, win or lose. Um, you've got Marcos Buchecha, Adolfo Vieira, um, Keenan Cornelius, Gilbert Burns. I, I could go on on Victor Estima. I mean, I think Buchecha he grappled his, Gordon Ryan Nogi. Yeah, and Buchecha is his best friend. So I, from what I understand, he's very broken up about this. Yeah, see, he, he beat Dylan Dennis. He, he's, he's beaten Andre Galval. I mean, some of these guys have, have gone on to have MMA careers. Leandro Lope stayed in just in, in the jiu-jitsu world. But this man, absolute marvel, especially in, in gi competitions. He, he did compete in no gi, but in gi competitions, he was just one of a kind. And even if he, even if he didn't win gold at, at these championships, he would normally make a pretty deep run. Yeah, I mean, that's just been – he's been a model of consistency. Uh, I know there's some people I follow on Twitter who have had the, the privilege of getting to, to train with Leandro Lowe. He is well-respected, so beloved. And for him to be gone so senselessly at just 33 years old, it is just devastating. And proof in the pudding that so much needs to be done with law enforcement in general, not just here in the United States, everywhere. My God, what was that guy thinking? Man, that's yes. such a tragedy. I mean, I tell you what, when I saw this story and all of the details unfolded, it, it is the very definition of a tragedy. So senseless. Wow. I mean, that is just a tremendous loss of life and talent there. Yep. If if you're not in a, a big jiu-jitsu fan or anything, please go on YouTube. IBJJF has, has plenty of highlight videos of him or individual matches. And he, he is just a, a master at his craft. Yeah. And it, it, it's sad that we're even talking about him in the past tense. He, he's fought a who's who of, of people throughout his, his long time in, in, in competitive jiu-jitsu. And if you watch jiu-jitsu tournaments in Brazil in particular, or, or places where there's like a large Brazilian contingent, I mean, the crowds mm. for those shows are, are, are absolutely raucous. And he is revered. And who, who, it, it, I, I hope everybody who admires Leandro Lowe and, and is competing in future tournaments, they at least do some sort of tributes. I mean, the, 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 pre, the pre-competition dance, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just absolutely devastating. And I, apparently, um, this off-duty police officer, he also trains in jiu-jitsu. Somebody pulled up a picture of him, and he, he practices jiu-jitsu. And just the way that this story has been described by witnesses, this sounds premeditated. Ugh. Wow. And if it's not premeditated, it, it's still just an awful thing, awful thing to transpire. It's so senseless, needless, and... I know very little about the, the, the judicial system in Brazil, but hopefully he gets the absolute maximum punishment he can possibly receive. Yeah. Rest in peace, Leandro Lowe. This is uh, a really, really devastating day or set of days for not just jiu-jitsu, but the martial arts community as a whole. Now, we must uh, have this difficult transition to some other 
moments that happen in combat sports outside of the UFC, including in boxing. Uh, Virgil Ortiz was one of the uh, notable fighters competing on Saturday. He took on England's Michael McKinson, who's got 21 pro wins, but only two knockouts. He is very much a boxer with no punch. And Ortiz had to take a little bit longer uh, to, to figure out McKinson's awkward style. Definitely if McKinson had more of a poppy B, I, I think a decent fighter to, to respect. But Ortiz broke him down with body shots. He got the eighth-round TKO, or rather the ninth-round TKO. That's as deep as he's ever been in his career. The under on eight and a half did just hit because McKinson went down with a body shot in the eighth round. He appeared to injure his knee or ankle, and he, he was stumbling in the, the following rounds to the corner. Got on the apron and threw in the towel, or at least waved it around to Ortiz. Keeps his knockout streak alive. Um, he is a number one ranked fighter in the WBA and WBO. So at some points, we might just see him against Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence Jr. Because it's only a matter of time before those mandatories get enforced. And I don't think he would be favored. Not even I don't think. He wouldn't be favored against Crawford or Spence. But I really want to see this dude in a big fight next. Yeah, me too. Me too. I like him a lot. And, you know, I think he would probably get routed in either of those fights. I still wouldn't mind seeing it. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, this McKinson fight, you could tell that the crowd really wasn't just flocking to see. And the, the level of opponent matters so much in, in getting more people to, to go to your fights. Because think about the, some of the other people we've beaten. Uh, Cavallascus, who's a former Terrence Crawford opponent. Maurice Hooker, who, by the way, looked absolutely awful on the undercard of this fight. And he ended up losing a decision after missing the welterweight limit by three pounds. He's had some personal issues, and, and I think he's lost some loved ones. So he might not have been in the best headspace to compete. But Cavallascus, Maurice Hooker, Samuel Vargas, I think that was uh, in in – behind closed doors during the pandemic, the start of it, rather. Brad Solomon, Antonio Orozco, Mauricio Herrera, those are quite a few notable names. McKinson is not part of that list. Right. So I think that should be the wake-up call for Golden Boy to figure out something <laughs> because, unfortunately, they don't have a deep stable of welterweights. Nobody does outside of PBC. So setting aside the Crawford's a free agent, you think of the top fighters at welterweight. Spence is PBC. Jaron Boots Ennis is PBC. So is your Dennis Ugas. Keith Thurman, whenever he feels like fighting, is PBC. Stani Jonas also competes under the PBC banner. Cody Crawley, same. Connor Ben, I guess, would be the, the possible in-house-ish fight you can make because Connor Ben is with Matchroom. But they might be doing Connor Ben against Chris Eubank Jr. up at a catchweight. Oh, my. And other than <laughs> continuing the family legacy, the gap in weight class disparity makes this fight nonsensical. It really does, but wow, just the idea of it. <laughs> Seems to me that they could just do Virgil against Conor Ben instead. <laughs> that, that'd be the type of prospect versus prospect fight yeah. where the loser doesn't have this gigantic drop in stock. Yeah. And Ortiz is very honest. I mean, he just had this, his rhabdo diagnosis not too long ago, after, and that's why the McKinson fight got pushed back so long. But he gave himself a B plus, and... If we get A-plus Virgil anytime soon, I mean, the dude's offense, he, he is a machine mm -hmm. as far as his work to the body and his combinations. He will be willing to get hit. Yeah, that's the and problem. That, yeah, that's the problem. Too tough. Yep. I, I think that if I had to rank the, the prospects, the, you know, or, or like the up-and-comers, because there's some dudes who are just beyond prospect status now, I go Boots NS1 yes. and then Ortiz 2 and Connor Ben 3. Because I think Boots could be the disruptor 
as far as the Spence and Crawford uh, monopolies mm-hmm. or at least the, the strangleholds on the four belts. Yeah. And, you know, but but Crawford props to him for like recognizing that, too, and, and being public about it. I think that's cool when they uh, recognize talent and, and up and comers. And he said, you know, Boots is the man. Boots has got what's ta- what it takes. Yeah, he, he does. And, Bo- and Crawford was at uh, was at the Ortiz fight, actually. So he's been making the rounds. I mean, he sure was at um, he was at the UFC card in Dallas, and now he's at this show, which I think was in uh, where is Dickey's Arena? Is that Fort Worth? Yes. So so Fort Worth. So that's that's pretty much Dallas, the general area. So Crawford being in Texas this long, maybe maybe just maybe they're they're trying to make this Crawford Spence fight happen. Negotiations underway in Texas. Who knows? I just wish they'd shit or get off the pot because I'm telling you, the suspense is killing me. Come on. Get it done. Well, I want it done so that we can maybe get this before the end of the year. Yeah. The pessimist in me says we won't see it at the end of the year. We'll see it at the beginning of next year. And part of why I say that is that Jermel Charlo, Tim Jew fight, which could have happened any time from now until December, has been booked for January. Ugh. So it has me wondering... If Showtime's budget has already, and or the PBC and Showtime budget has already been used up quite a bit, but it shouldn't matter too much because on pay per view that's kind of a separate thing. So hopefully they can get the money sorted out because with this situ- economic situation and inflation, this and that, I, I fear that we could be in for a rough patch for boxing the next few months. As far as hey, with the money situation going on, we're not willing to pay these dollars. Yeah, but you know what? I guess we should count ourselves fortunate for the really strong year they've had thus far. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, did you know that the zone is increasing the annual price? Not the monthly, but the annual. And this is just for pure. Um, $150 a year now, from up from, I think, 99 What? Or is it 129 Whatever the case, it's a not insignificant increase. My so, goodness, when is this supposed to happen? I think starting next month or, or, or thereabouts, and this is obviously for anybody who is an annual subscriber at the moment, of which I am not one of them. And part of why I wouldn't subscribe annually to a boxing dominant service, excuse me, is the volatility of the schedule. So Joshua Usyk's in two weeks, right? Right. U.S. rights for Joshua Usyk haven't seemingly been announced yet. And. Oh. Because Saudi Arabia's got this, right? (laughs) So Saudi Arabia has been the one distributing the rights around the world. So Usyk has personally, or at least his promoter, has helped uh, cobble the rights together so that it can air for free in Ukraine. But in the UK, even though Joshua's got this deal with DAZN, it's on Sky Box Office in the UK. It's possible DAZN ends up not getting Joshua Usyk in the US. They should be favored to, but it would be really, really bad if they don't get Joshua Usyk too. Oh my that would be terrible. I got I got a bad feeling about not just a zone, not to, to pick on them, but a lot of these streaming services in general that aren't Hulu or Disney Plus because we're seeing their numbers, we're seeing the reports, we're seeing the rises in costs and the subscription numbers and the revenue and the annual revenues or the loss of money and their legs have got to be shaking. For real. I, I look mean- at Netflix and they might have spent 8 billion dollars on bad stand-up specials but in terms of actually making making a profit that's not been a thing yeah 
and we're we're looking at a bunch of cuts on for HBO Max. We're seeing streaming services really starting to uh, make some cutbacks. I mean, they just dropped a, a movie that they had ninety million dollars invested in. Just yes. dropped it cold. Was it Batgirl? Yes. Yeah. So HBDO Plus. What what kind of shitty name is that? Oh. How did creative come up with that? Oh, video. That's nobody. Nobody gives one ounce of a damn about Discovery anything brand. But is unless it... it's unless it's Sharkly, people know the HBO brand. But isn't BDO like short for some bondage term? How they were? Oh, it's BDS, BDSM, right? But it's so close. I mean, I'm not on. the person to, to go towards uh, to to for a yes or no on that one. <laughs> well, listen, you are the man that writes about the penises on Bloody Elbow. Let's not forget. So I figure maybe there might be some kind of tie-in. <laughs> but I forget this is you know young Mookie here, so he probably wouldn't know those terms. But it's it's close enough for me to go ew. <laughs> HBO. I mean, you could have gone HBO Discovery or something like that, but <laughs> HBO is the name. HBO is the brand name that people associate with, right. uh, uh, just through through as long as HBO has existed, and that's the name that they come up with. Come on. <sighs> but see, we're seeing the the oversaturation of streaming services. CNN Plus didn't even get out of the gate. They were done in a month. Quibi. I don't. I'm not even sure actually existed. <laughs> I think they were just a myth, some sort of fairy tale gone horribly wrong but it's very obvious that uh, some cleanup is needed in now, the worst spe- way <laughs> now speaking of cleanup this is the cell phone for the ages uh the ufc card happened but we were also supposed to have Hasim rotman jr boxing jake paul right well that didn't happen because of weight issues with rotman and it was alleged that rotman's team wanted this fight at 215 a weight that paul hasn't come close to ever reaching i think he's only been in the 190s range and the last line was 205. And when Rotman's team apparently couldn't make that, or Rotman specifically couldn't make that, Jake Paul's team decided to cancel the fight, cancel the event, and then pay the undercard fighters, so the ones off TV, 50% of their purse, and then have no contractual ties to, to any Jake Paul cards moving forward. So what did Rotman do as a means of uh, trying to get back at Jake Paul and prove that he's ducking? He kept his weight cut going, and he held an unofficial weigh-in to show that he can make 205. And he even did this at the world-famous Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. He weighed in at 206.6, which I last checked is not 205. And even if there was no title at stake and he did a one-pound allowance or some, some other special thing, he still missed. And the New York, New York State Athletic Commission would have fined him anyway. So if that was the point he was trying to make, he said on Twitter, 206.6 exposure. The 25% purse fines were a post of the contract for a reason. Y'all stay tuned for more exposure in a few. Um, I don't think that's what, uh, what was he trying to accomplish? I think the, what you were searching for there is I don't think that was quite the flex he thought it was. <laughs> and boy, that is such a backfire. My God. It would have been better to just lie. Mm-hmm. Tweak the scale. It's not official anyway. Right. Just lie and say 205.2 or something like that, just so you make it a little bit more believable. But instead, you do it for real and you miss. Yeah. And yeah. that would have created another haggling, of course, I suspect, between Paul's team and Rotman's team over the percentage of the purse beyond just the 25%. And to, to squash the conspiracy stuff, the New York State Athletic Commission is the one that's monitoring Rotman's weight up, in, uh, up until fight week. 
or up until this got canceled. Mm. And it's understandable because Ratma's never weighed at that that low uh, a weight before. But this is just the fitting way for the circus to end. Rotman's senior had already just buried his own son. With uh, he's been underprepared and underperformed in every fight of his career, and now he manages to underperform and underprepare for a fight that's not even happening. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's that's next level failure right there. So yeah. we'll see what happens for for Jake Paul's next fights. But uh, you know, the cynic in me says the undercard fighters who not who aren't on the pay per view. I mean, that's already not going to be a lot of money to shell out because you're looking at fighters who are not in the top 200 really in any division. But there are a lot of boxing promoters, including reputable ones, that if a fight gets canceled or an event gets canceled, they won't pay the boxers at all. Yeah, and that's that's remarkable about Paul. I don't know how long he'll be able to sustain this business model of his but it's it's actually an admirable thing that he did. I'm sure he did it for the clout, though. I never look at anything he does as it being just the reasonable thing to do or the, the admirable thing to do. Yeah, I would consider it respectable. I mean, 50% is kind of like saying, here's your show money. Yeah. And uh, Amanda Serrano and and I think Brandon Lee, who are also going to be on the, un- the, the pay-per-view portion of that undercard, they won't get paid because they'll probably just have their fights moved to the same date of Jake Paul's next fight. So maybe they don't have to wait that long, maybe September or October. And I think that would make more sense than those who are in limbo the whole time. And for those wondering if what if Jake Paul just never fights again, I'm sure that there's some little stipulation they've probably made. If it's not in X amount of time, we'll give you X amount of dollars. I just feel oh. like something like that might be in place. Well, if Jake Paul never fights again, then that is a weight off my shoulders as far as actually <laughs> writing up previews and doing play-by-play of these fights. Anyway, um, PFL will wrap us up uh, for, for this week. So the playoffs have begun. Light heavyweight, lightweight, Anthony Pettis lost again. Stevie Ray got a clear decision win despite Pettis's clear third-round win. Apparently, he broke his both of his hands, and uh, Stevie Ray just bullied him i mean stevie is able to make the final where he will take on olivier alban mercier ain't that crazy that that fight would easily be like on a prelim of a ufc europe show yeah. and now it's for a million dollars gosh and, and good for oam he's a funny dude i think he was just chilling watching the main event eating pizza and at backstage and he's been pretty vocal about fighter pay so this is his opportunity because he has, has never made it this far so i'm rooting for oam so amari akmanov yeah, yeah. Omari Akmanov beat Josh uh, Silvera by decision, but the one finish of the semifinals that played out, Rob Wilkinson knocking out Delon Monte with a slew of punches and then a knee that stiffened Monte up and probably broke his nose. Yeah. I mean, if you saw the knockout, and it's on PFL's website, it's on it's on their YouTube page, it's on their Twitter. That was an absolutely wickedly timed knee. And while I have an annoyance with the ref cam, that was a pretty good angle. You could see Monte was gone. Yeah. Definitely so. And if Rob Wilkinson sounds like a familiar name, he was Israel Adesanya's debuting opponent. That was his first UFC fight. So Adesanya's first fight in the UFC was against Rob Wilkinson. Adesanya has gone on to become one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid active fighter on the UFC roster for as long as Connor's not competing. And Rob Wilkinson, who never really amounted to anything in the UFC, he will take on Omari Akhmadov in the light heavyweight final. By the way, 
another side note to the story, Wilkinson Monte had to be delayed a bit because the ambulances that were transporting other fighters to the hospital, they didn't available. get back in time. <laughs> right. So obviously it's better safe than sorry. But on a Friday afternoon or early evening in, in Manhattan, um, I would budget a little bit more time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's not an uncommon thing. It's just kind of weird when it does happen and the fighters are already in the cage. Yeah. At least have them just stay stay chilling in the warm-ups or something. All right. On that note, that's it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Steffi at Crookland MMA, the show at Mookie and Crookie. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Mookie, Letter N, and Crookie. Don't forget to listen to me and Steffi Alonso, Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast on Fridays. We'll make our UFC San Diego picks and more on that episode. I believe Bellator is that week, too. Um, uh, what's his name? Neiman Gracie and Goichi Yamauchi. So I think Ooh, we're going to be picking that fight. That's a good one. Heck Yeah. yeah. And- did you know that Alima Le McFarlane intends to retire at the end of her contract? I think she's on this card as well. What? Yes, she's going to fight out her contract, which I think is a couple more fights, and then call it a career. Wow. Well, you know what? That would be all right. She's had a good career. Yeah, yes, she has, and we've interviewed her. We've interviewed her before. She is yes. not just a great interview. She's great at the analyst desk. Yeah, she really is. I wonder if that's going to be what she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, Bellator could use some better analysts than uh, the ones they normally put out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Stephanie's on Care Don't Care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Nash on Mondays. I think the gang is back together and probably not going to be that many cares for this car. I thought it was a lot better of a car than I realized. It's uh, not that great. It's not terrible, but it's not overwhelmingly interesting it's not i think we had about a 38 percent care ratio 40 percent something like that yeah i just again the bout order is out of whack ode osborne tyson os uh, oh, tyson nam right. should be up on the main card oh yes sir yes sir yeah it should be much higher obviously a couple of fights that were postponed like lipsky and cachoeira mm-hmm. and nina nina nunez and cynthia calvillo have been moved to this show and then we also had i think alexa grasso's fight against viviane arrojo got Knicks from this show. So there's been a lot of uh, reshuffling of the deck, so to speak. So UFC San Diego, hopefully still a good card. The main event is a must care. Yes. And we know that that's going to be fantastic to watch. I will probably miss it live, but I'll be sure to catch it on replay afterward. If you want to know where else you can find Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts like this one or Care Don't Care, you just wait till the very end and you'll get the full list in the pre-recorded outro. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. Be safe. Join us again for the next show. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com.